uh, thank you for coming this morning, Steve. It's good to see you, bro. And uh, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in the book of 1 John this morning. We'll be picking up on our series on to know God is to love God. And I really want to thank everybody that was here last week. And uh, what a great service that was. I was able to finally get on and watch that. And just to see, you know, Luke and Brady and Chris and Mitch address the body. Uh, some of our faithful men here at HBF. Uh, that are propelling the ministry forward, uh, it was just a real blessing for me. So if you missed that service, you want to get online and watch that. And uh, it's just good to see the tangible fruit of discipleship uh, being uh, fostered through the ministry of HBF. And man, to God be the glory, and praise God for that. And so I'm very thankful uh, to God for the fruit that he gives us. And I pray that there's fruit in your life. Uh, that's really why John was writing to, to those in First John. He wanted to make sure that this fruit wasn't spoiled. You know, I just yesterday morning, uh, I was, I uh, had, we have a big batch of eggs, and, and I cracked, have you ever cracked a, a rotten egg? I don't know how I didn't smell it, but boy, once you crack it open, right in the skillet, you know, I'm like, with, I already had one going, so it was already started, and the other one, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is rotten, uh, for sure black, the whole thing, you know, it was bad. And uh, so anyway, I had to deal with that mess. And uh, you know what? That's what we don't want. We don't want to see the devil spoil what God wants. You know, little leaven leavens the whole lump. God's holy, um, and we're holy because he's holy. He makes us holy through his finished work on the cross. And there is an active war against uh, God's purposes in the kingdom of God. And we're right in the middle of that. Many times people don't realize that God... Is, uh, has preserved us and what God wants to do and, and the reality that the adversary wants to spoil that. And so John wrote this epistle in 1 John, and in chapter 2 in particular, the last time we were in the text together, which was a couple weeks ago, uh, I, I kind of outlined a few things for you already in the chapter regarding growth. As, as John addresses little children, young men, and fathers in chapter 2, uh, today we are either in the family of God or we're not, right? So if the devil's winning the war in your life if you're not born again. I can tell you that. He, he's already got you where he wants you. But God's able to do a work. You know, I had to throw out that rotten egg, but God doesn't throw them out. He, he can regenerate us and make us new, and that's so amazing. And so God wants to restore us. And so when he does, we're born again. And when we're born again, we're like children. We're like little children. And John even opens the chapter. We mentioned it several weeks back. He has a section where he says, my little children, and then he dresses all little children, Right? And so we're, we're, God has a very uh, personal relationship with us once we're born again. Last week you saw baptisms. We had those baptisms, not to, not to see anyone saved, but because people had already become saved. They've already trusted Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, trusted him to renew them and turn them from a rotten egg into a restored one, right? And so God was able to, to do that, that work amazingly in the hearts of those people. So then after that, they get baptized to show everybody, look, God has saved my soul. He has redeemed me from the curse of the law, from the curse of sin. And so uh, you're either in the family of God or you're not. But even once you get saved and you become a little child, that's when you really become a threat to the devil, right? Before that, you know, Ephesians talks about this. You know, you just kind of go along to get along when you're lost. You just go with the world, man. You just go with the flow. But once you get saved, then you become, you become a target. You become something the devil is concerned about. And that's why John took time to talk about this issue of, of Antichrist. And we spent some time talking about that a couple of weeks ago. That's a pretty heavy message. I was surprised. I, I kind of left here thinking, man, that was way too much and way too little time. But afterwards, I had so many good conversations with you all that I was like, well, praise the Lord. I think the Lord used that 
And this is a good time to really understand that. But I can't go forward without hitting the other side of the coin, which isn't just being prepared to discern the ministry of Antichrist. But we also got to be prepared for the return of Christ. We're not victims. Uh, By definition, Christians are victors, right? So our job isn't to sit around and go, oh, no, woe is me. There is an adversary. The job for us is to to pick up the banner, right, to hold up the the standard of God's word and to go forward in victory, even when things don't look all the time the way we want them to look or the best situations, we have the truth. That's unassailable. It's un, it's un, this is it, man. We have the words of life. We have the bread of life. We have the truth. And so we have nothing to fear. We don't even have the spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. So God is doing a work in our lives. And, and, uh, and so you're either in the family of God or you're not. And if you're saved... You have an enemy, even if you don't like to think about it. You know, Winston Churchill once said, we sleep, safe, we sleep safely at night because rough men stand ready to visit violence on those who would harm us. And so, you know, Winston Churchill uh, was on to something, and that quote has been requoted a million times. I don't know if Winston was the, even the first guy to come up with it. Probably not. It's probably been said over the centuries. But I, I would modify that statement uh, because just a little bit because I think it would be better said for us uh, in this fashion, we rest easily in the church today because mature men said, stand fastly in the faith, ready to give their lives as a living sacrifice for Christ and his church. You know, that's really why God gives, gives, has given our nation peace over these uh, couple hundred years. And that's why there's peace in churches, because, because good men and women follow God's word and they, they stand in the gap. A couple weeks back, we spent some time in 1 John 2, 18 through 23, understanding the need to discern the ministry of Antichrist. And uh, I, you might recall that the information John was delivering um, <clears throat> when he was giving it was to, he starts off in uh, verse 18, again, talking to little children. It's, I believe it was presumed that people who uh, he would be, that he had categorized as young men or fathers already understood who the Antichrist was and, who the, and, ha- and had discernment uh, in that area. But like all good uh, engagements, whether they're military whether they're business, whether they're uh, sports, right? Fundamentals are the key, right? If you lose the fundamentals, then you lose it, right? You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't remember the basics, how to block and tackle, you're not going to be very good at football, right? Whatever sport um, that you're doing or whatever engagement you're in, you don't know how to hit your target. Uh, You don't know how to to move your troops. You don't know how to uh, engage in business practices. You're going to have problems if you forget the basics, right? And so we can't forget the basics, no matter if you're a little child, if you're a young man or a father. We have to make sure that we realize that we have an adversary, and uh, he means business. He wants to destroy us, but he can't because we are the victors. So we can surmise, based on what we saw in verses 13 and 14, that young men and fathers already understood and were experienced with the knowledge that John was presenting to the little children. Having said that, I, I just want to share a passage from 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Uh, Paul says here, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Right? So all of us should have a desire to grow in our knowledge, right? And we should have also a desire to be simple and, and childlike when it comes to malice, right? We should not be malcontent, right? We should, not be, uh, we should not be going the wrong direction. We should definitely be honoring God in our heart and our mind and our soul. So we look at two things uh, that we need to be prepared for in this chapter. Really, from verses 18 to 23, we saw that we need to be prepared to discern the ministry of Antichrist. And today we're going to talk about being prepared 
for the Lord's return. Uh, before I jump into the text, though, a couple weeks ago, we saw four things regarding being prepared to discern the ministry of Antichrist. And if we want to do that, I remember, you may have forgotten, but the first thing I said is you don't want to check out, right? There was a lot of information. I said, don't check out on me. Um, elementary information is important no matter how mature you are because you don't want to let Satan get an advantage of us like it talks about in Second Corinthians 2.11. We are not ignorant of his devices. But also we need to discern the time, right? And we talked a lot, we got into some prophecy, literally talking about the word time and how it's used in Daniel time, times and a half time and how all that relates to literally the coming Antichrist. So we got into a lot of doctrinal discussion there. Uh, and then I, I talked to you about it's important to understand the behavior. We saw those who could not stand for truth went out like, like Judas, right? People who couldn't handle uh, what Jesus was doing, they went out and not just left, but Judas went out to stop what Jesus was doing. There was a pattern there. They went out from us because they were not of us. And, and so that's mentioned also by John. And then discern the difference. Allow the Holy Spirit to give you the discernment um, between those who are lovers of God's word versus those who are liars. And we all need to have that discernment, but what do we do with it? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about today. So if you have your Bible, uh, let's look at Second, uh, or First John chapter 2. I'm going to kind of overlap these, kind of dovetail these together, this subject matter, uh, and then we're going to finish up today this chapter in verse 29. So First John chapter 2 and verse 22 is where we're going to pick it up. It says here, First John 2 and verse 22. Let's lay our eyeballs on it. Who is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is an antichrist, or he is antichrist, I'm sorry, that denieth the Father and the Son. Very clear, very concise. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning, if that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things that I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him." And now little, uh, now little children, abide in him, that when ye shall appear, I'm sorry, that when he shall appear, we have confidence and, <clears throat> and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that every one that doeth righteousness is born of him. Heavenly Father, we're thankful uh, this morning for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful, Lord, for every soul that is gathered here today. I'm thankful for those that are watching online. I'm thankful for your word, Lord. We are not here to hear from me this morning. I don't have anything that's worth saying. But, Lord, we do want to hear from you. We want to hear from your word. We want to understand your word this morning. We want to commune with you. We want to worship you. We want to be prepared for your return. Lord, we want to be ready when you call us away. And I pray, God, this morning the things that we discuss will be very practical in nature and that we will be ready at your appearing. Lord, thank you and, and praise you for coming uh, to catch us away in the clouds. Thank you for coming at your first advent to, to die on the cross for our sins and being buried and rising again. And you're alive right now, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Lord, you live in us literally through the Spirit of God. You have sealed our souls to the day of redemption. Lord, we rejoice this morning in who you are. Thank you for making us victors and not victims. We praise you and thank you already in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. So we are, we are victors. Isn't that nice? Ah, take a breath. You are a victor. I mean, that is awesome. So this morning, we're, we're going to look at these two points. Uh, we saw that uh, the last time we met, it's important to be prepared to discern the ministry of Antichrist. That's pretty easy to do today. Um, and then we need to be prepared for the Lord's return. So as we have established that previous message, uh, you know, um, I want to also just remind you of what we've, we've also learned in, the, in regard to going way back to my introduction on how this book is laid out. Because as we get to the end of chapter 2, uh, the last thing it talks about there is the, the being born uh, of him. And then the next chapter deals with our sonship. So we'll get into that in chapter 3. But the first two chapters of First John deal with fellowship. The things that we're talking about have a lot to do with our fellowship. The, the last part from chapters 3 through 5 deal with our sonship, right, our are, are, are who we are as children of God. And so it's important that we understand that. In 1 John two twenty eight, he says, And now little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. So in chapter 3, we'll deal with the subject of being born again, or being a son of God. But here John is reminding us that we need to be confident at his coming uh, for us because he is coming, right? That's what he says. We, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Uh, the day is coming when we will give account. Um, and we, I mean, Mitch said it last week. I loved his example, the deadline. That was so good. And so we're going to give account. And for us, the coming of the Lord is, 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 is not something uh, to be confused with the catching or with the uh, with the uh, the uh, the coming of Christ at the end of the tribulation period, the Bible's clear in First Thessalonians chapter four and verse thirteen. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Right? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. Uh, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, or those that have died. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, this is what we commonly call the rapture. I'll speak on that in just a moment. But uh, there's a time coming when Jesus will return. He won't come to the earth physically yet and catch away the church. He'll catch us up. And uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 says, Now this I say, Paul writing once again, Brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These physical earthly bodies will not make it. We have to have a new body. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. We've talked about that. God changes us. So we've been changed internally, spiritually, but there's also a physical aspect to our adoption. In Romans, it talks about that. We're adopted spiritually and physically. We get a new body at the coming of the Lord. So we, uh, it says that we shall not all sleep. Behold, I show you a mystery. This is something that's revealed through Paul. We shall not all sleep. We're not all going to die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So there's a day coming... Uh, and it's probably sooner than later. It's imminent, right? It's not set on the it's not set on the on the timetable of Daniel's seventieth week. Once the uh, beginning of the Revelation six starts, that's that's on a seven year timetable. We know very clearly what's going to happen. We know what's happening at the midpoint. There's mid tribulation raptures. There's a catching away before the coming of the Lord. I mean, there's there's all that going on with the nation of Israel 
and uh, the Gentile nations in the tribulation. But this is not dealing with that. This is dealing with us when we get caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And uh, that's going to happen before the coming uh, time of Daniel's 70th week and the time of of, uh, tribulation, the beginning of sorrows and great tribulation. So this event is commonly called the rapture. And, and man, I remember when I was a young, when I was a little child in the Lord, I sat at Bible studies and I learned about the rapture. How many of you heard the term the rapture? So most of you have, uh, not everybody. So the word the rapture is a, in Christian terms. I never heard of it until I got saved. I'm like, what's this rapture? Um, you know, and so rapture is, is a term used to describe what I just read out of the Bible. It's the catching away. And so I went home one night after a Bible study and I'm like, man, I got to dig into this thing. So I get out my Bible. Hi, Heather. Good to see you. And so I get out my Bible, and I get out my concordance, and I try, to, I try to find rapture. And guess what I come up with? Goose eggs. You know, then I'm like, oh, no, I'm in a cult, you know. And, uh, and so, so I started studying it a little further. So, no, the Bible does teach on that subject. And, and just to kind of let you know where all this rapture business comes from, the Greek word that is used in First uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter uh, and verse 17, the, the word that I, I mentioned earlier, I think I may have even, well, it's not highlighted on your notes, highlighted in my notes, but uh, the screen, the verse on the screen there, it says caught up, right? We're caught up together. Well, that word is, uh, it's like har- har- harpazo, harpazo, I think. I can always say it, but today I can't. All right, so uh, harpazo, that's what it is, harpazo and uh, in Greek. Now, that doesn't mean a hill of beans to us, but uh, the word rapture, that word is translated rapturo in Latin. And so rapturo is where that we get the English word rapture. So somewhere along the way, I don't, now don't, I don't know how that stuck to the church. Probably some Bible preacher got up and gave all this Greek and, and, and so just saying caught up. The word caught up is what we're talking about. It's being raptured up. And so the catching away of the church uh, begins the day of the Lord in the, in the birth of, <clears throat> uh, just as in the birth of Christ began the first coming of Christ. There'll be a lot of activity in the seven years after the catching away of the church leading up to the second coming of Christ to the earth where he literally comes to the earth in, in war and establishes his kingdom on this planet. And uh, the rapture is, se- is a secret catching away into the clouds in which Jesus doesn't touch down on the planet but removes his bride, the church. But that doesn't, uh, that we still will go to the judgment seat of Christ. So judgment comes to us at the judgment seat of Christ while God prepares the earth for judgment. And so the second coming, when Jesus returns to establish control of the planet with his iron fist, will occur very publicly, and every eye will see him, according to Revelation 1-7. So it's not going to be some uh, you know, instantaneous secret thing. Everybody's going to know about it, and it isn't going to just be like, like this. He's going to take his time. He's going to split the Mount of Olives. He's going to take over residency, and he's going to put down everything. The topography of the earth even changes. I mean, it's going to be a great, and if you're not on his team, it's a great and dreadful day of the Lord and he's going to take it all back. AI is going to be gone. Everything's going to be over. Uh, no faux Holy Spirit. Internet, we don't need it anymore. I mean, he's just going to set it all right, and, uh, and it'll be good. So, so relax. Everything that's giving you trouble, it'll all get worked out. Uh, no more fake news, right? So it all, get, it all gets worked out, or, or whatever your preference is. I probably shouldn't have said that, depending on, but you know what I mean. There's so much tension, is my point. There's so much. All that's going to be taken care of. Jesus is going to handle it. It's all going to be good. And so you need to have that on your, in your mind as a Christian because you are in, you, this is a great time to be saved, a wonderful time to be a Christian. And so, uh, so we draw comfort. We draw comfort at the coming of the Lord to catch us away in the clouds. Um, seven years later, the world will wail 
because they will be uh, in the crosshairs of God's wrath, right? T- Titus tells us it's a wonderful thing, right? It's a, it's a glorious thing for us to get caught up. I mean, we're, we're looking forward to that. Um, but, but when it comes to the second coming of Jesus returning to the earth, uh, people are going to wail and they are going to mourn because they will realize that they have made a huge mistake in not following the Lord Jesus Christ and actually warring against him. And so, uh, so we should be drawing comfort at the coming of the Lord for us. The reason I want to start with this clarification is because this passage is viewed through a different lens today um, than it will be even at the ca- after the catching away of the church. So this, I've mentioned this in the weeks past. This passage is uniquely going to fit those tribulation saints and the Jews that come after the catching away of the church as well. As a matter of fact, a lot of what you read here is very well fit to uh, more of an Old Testament kind of mindset towards salvation, which I'm not going to get into the deep end of that right now, but, but you've got to keep that in mind as you read through the passages, all the general epistles, Hebrews on through the book of Revelation. So uh, today we have the assurance of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. Salvation is uh, truly grace through faith in the finished work of Christ, not of works lest any man should boast. And we know that from Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and several other passages. After our catching away, however, the tribulation saints uh, will have uh, more if statements, right, than we do associated with their salvation. And Matthew twenty four thirteen makes it clear, I've mentioned this quite often, that in that time after the catching away of the church, you must endure to the end to be saved. If you take the mark of the beast, you're in deep trouble. Right? It's not, it's not the, there's not the same level of assurance uh, and sealing of the Holy Ghost like we have today after the catching away of the church. So there's a lot of things there, and I don't want to lose you too much into prophecy details. We do a lot of teaching on that here at Heartland. So i got a book of Revelation studies up on the web you can listen to, and uh, we have discipleship processes. So but I just want you to kind of, for those of you that maybe are students of the Word, I just kind of want to mention that, drop that, so you can meditate upon that. Um, and how the general epistles apply. And I also want to give you comfort and understanding that your salvation, based on, the, on what we understand that the mysteries given to the church, is secure in Christ and his finished work alone. There's no ifs. You're not doing anything to keep your salvation. You, you don't earn it, and you don't do anything to keep it. So to make things uh, a little more complex, there are instances in, the, in those uh, passages where there's people awaiting the catching away of the Lord uh, during the tribulation. Right, so even there's not, the only ca- the catching away of the church is not the only time people get caught up. So it's easy to read through your Bible and find passages and go, oh man, and then you put the church in there, and then the next thing you know, the church is is uh, just right before the vile judgment, right in the end of Revelation. So so these are important distinctions to make. That's why we are to rightly divide the Word of God, and it's also important to remember that all of the Bible is for us. In Second Timothy three sixteen, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. So we shouldn't. Uh, cut some things out and say, oh, we're, we don't read that. A hyper-dispensationalist will say, oh, we rightly divide the word so much so that we won't read Hebrews. We won't read First, Second Peter. We won't read James. We won't read First, Second, and Third John or Jude or Revelation. We're not going to preach that in the church even. And we've had a few people come through this building that have been like that. And so the Lord's removed them, praise God, because they, that can cause confusion in and of itself. And so And so it's important to remember all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, right, complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God wants us to know what's coming so that we can live the life we need to live today. That's the whole point of this message is that we need to be ready for the catching away. We know what's coming after that, but what are we doing between now and that time? 
So as you read through the general epistles, it's important to understand that all Scripture is written for us, but it's not all written to us. A great example of that is James, who clearly writes to the 12 tribes scattered abroad in the book of Hebrews, also speaks obviously clearly to Hebrews. But that doesn't mean there's not all kinds of things that apply to us, which they do, right? So we, these were at the first century, these were Hebrew Christians. There were 12 tribes scattered abroad. James is writing to them because he wants them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, and these are Christians at that time. So historically, we understand it. Doctrinally, we understand it. And then we have all kinds of inspirational or devotional application that we can apply to our lives as well. So you don't have to get hyper-dispensational and think, oh, I can't apply anything from that book. It's not worth reading. Well, that's absolutely crazy. Um, That doesn't mean that you should throw out all the text like our hyper-dispensationalist friends do. So God wants to use this text in our lives in a practical way so that we're ready for the Lord when he comes for his church and we get caught up in the air uh, before the advent of Daniel's 70th week commonly called the tribulation period. So having said all that, and that's a long interlude, I know, uh, we need to ask ourselves, are we ready for the return of the Lord? Before I can ask you that question, are we ready for the return of the Lord? I just really want everyone to know, what am I talking about? I'm talking about the catching away of the church, if you're saved, if you're saved. If you're not saved, I can promise you, you are not ready for the return of the Lord, and you need to get ready today while you can because now is the day of salvation. So having said all that, I want, to, I want us to just think about that. Are we ready for the return of the Lord? And I mean, if you uh, were here, <clears throat> um, if you were going to hear three long trumpet blows right now, <laughs> would you be ready to go on the last one, right? Are you ready to go out on the last trump? So first, are you born again? Are you a child of God? That's the first, that's the first thing you got to ask yourself. Am I truly born again? Am I really saved? Second, if you are a child of God, are you prepared for the return of the Lord Jesus? What will, be found, what will you be found? What will I be found doing when the Lord catches us away? Will I be faithful doing what God has saved me to do? Whether it's preaching the word here or preaching the word there or whatever. Will I be about the business that God has put me on the planet to, to be about? Now, some of us are like little children. We don't really know what that business is because we're still developing. We're still growing. But some of you know what your business is. You know why God put you here. You know what you're supposed to be doing, and you need to be about it. It's not vocational ministry necessarily, but it is about being the person God has saved you to be so you can accomplish that which God has saved you to accomplish. It's about glorifying God in all that we do. That is what it's all about in a mature uh, young man, right? A good father, raising up children, raising up spiritual fruit, raising up a generation behind us that they can carry forth the knowledge of God's word and bring glory to God. If indeed we were to fall asleep, if we were to die, there would be people behind us that would carry the ball to the next generation. Amen? That's what it's all about. That's why we equip the saints of God and the word of God to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God. This is all about handing off the ball. That's what ministry is all about, is taking this book and the whole counsel of God, and not just exposing it on Sunday morning, but having times where we teach the Word of God like Jesus did with his disciples, and we invest the Word of God so people know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. They're conformed to his image. They walk like Christ. They talk like Christ. They think like Christ. They are Christ here. They're they're ambassadors for Christ. They are here in in Christ's stead, reconciling men and women to God. That's why we exist. I'm excited about that, and I'm glad I'm doing that. I I could be doing something else easily. The devil, the spirit of Antichrist could have beguiled me, could have seduced me, right? I could be off trying to do something else that God hasn't saved me to do, but that's not what God wanted for my life. And it takes decisions, doesn't it? It takes a decision that, you know what? I want to be prepared for the Lord that is coming. So this is the path I'm going to take. This is the road I'm going to go down. 
This is the direction we need to go. So 1 John chapter 2, I know it's like, man, Brian, time's running out. I know, I'll get to it. So 1 John 2, 24 through 26. This is why John is writing to the little children. We're never too old for the fundamentals and the basics, so we've got to make sure that we understand our Bibles. 1 John 2, 24, Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye shall uh, continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things that are written unto you concerning them that seduce you. So prepare for the return of the Lord by letting the word abide in you. By letting the word abide in you. That's what we need to do. We need to let the word abide in us. And so letting the truth uh, letting the, the truth in keeps the lies out. That's what really verse 24 is helping us understand. Letting the truth in keeps the lies out. There's coming a time on this planet where there's going to be such great deception. Man, it's going to be a battle. But man, for us, it's easier because we have the Holy Ghost. We have the Word of God. We have the local church. Those three things help us keep the truth in so we can keep the lies out. You want to let the truth in, right, so that you can keep the lies out. Let, the, let that therefore abide in you, is what he says, which is from the beginning. Now, the beginning here is the beginning of the ministry mentioned in 1 John 1 and verse 1. If you remember in our introduction, it says there, that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the capital W, word of life, literally Jesus Christ. He's like, you know what? We need to abide in Christ, that which is from the beginning. And so that's what uh, John is referring to. They literally hung out with Christ. John is saying, make sure that you are abiding in Christ, the Word. We'll, we'll talk more about that in a moment. The second mention of the, the word abide is also found in verse 27. So abide in verse 24. That's the first time you see the word abide in the book of 1 John, and it's going to be mentioned three times. You see it also in verse 27. Uh, the second mention is down there in verse 27 in reference to the anointing that abides uh, in us. John goes on to say, at the end of, of the verse, uh, that those who have this anointing abide in him. And of course, we know we talked last week about the Holy Ghost and how that's associated with the Holy Spirit. And so we'll talk about that more in just a moment. And the third time we see this mention, this word mention abide is in 1 John 2 and verse 28 in reference to the need for children to abide in him. So abiding in him is a theme as he wraps up this chapter. And there is no doubt that John is remembering the message Jesus preached um, in, in the upper room in Jerusalem just before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Turn in your Bibles quickly to John chapter 15, and we're not going to do an expository uh, work in John 15, but I want to point out what was going on in John 15, and as John records it, uh, there in the upper room. In John 15, Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye, ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Hallelujah. We are clean through the word that was spoken uh, from Jesus. And then he goes on to say, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. So we don't have time to work through the entire passage sufficiently, but if you go up through verse 16, you're going to see a pattern here of abiding in the vine. 
And, and, uh, and so it, it's, a, it's an amazing thing that ties and correlates also to the fact that Jesus Christ is a vine. There's a passage in Genesis 49 and verse 10. Uh, it's the first mention of, of uh, the word uh, vine, Genesis uh, 49, 10. Actually, I don't think that's right, so scratch that last thought. It's a first mention of something else that I've forgotten, so forget that. But Genesis 49, 10, the Bible says this, verse, uh, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. What's a scepter? Somebody, you know, you know what a scepter is? Yeah, it's like when a, a king or a queen will sit. There's a, I saw the scepter. I was over in uh, Great Britain one time, went through the, the place where all the jewels and all that stuff are. Probably didn't, shouldn't have had a guy like me in there. But anyway, they had the, they had the scepter. And uh, it's, just, it's just like you see. You're supposed to, they put it out. The king puts it out. It's on a staff. And it, it represents all kinds of power and authority. So anyway, so the scepter is what he's talking about. The scepter will not depart from Judah, right? The, 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 the power, the authority, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the, the gathering of the people be. Now, this is kind of like hard to discern, in, especially in probably back in the time of Genesis when it was written. But now it's very clear that this is dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ coming. He's the lawgiver. He fulfilled the law, and he is the peace, the prince of peace. So he came through Judah, right? And then he goes on to say, binding his foal unto the vine and his ass's colt unto the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. So that passage, that little prophecy in those two verses, takes you from the birth of Christ coming through Judah all the way to his coming in the, Lord, in the Revelation 19, where he is treading upon the fierceness and of the winepress and the grapes of wrath that we talk about, right? And all of the blood that's on his garments. I mean, that's, that's an amazing prophecy. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 21 says, Yet have I planted thee a noble vine. Noble, you think of, of course, nobility. And uh, he says, a noble vine, holy a right seed, right? A perfect seed, of course. That's the Lord Jesus. And he goes on to say, How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? Like, how in the world, if I've given you the Lord Jesus, are you a strange vine? You know who also picks up on that terminology? Uh, and I, again, I'm not going to get into it in detail, but R- uh, Paul, right? When he's talking about Romans 9, 10, 11, he deals with Israel, and he's talking about restoring Israel and how we have been grafted in to the vine. Jesus Christ, of course, being the vine. So when Jesus was tempted by Satan with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, Matthew 4, 1 through 11, he quoted scripture at each turn, setting a pattern of effectiveness of the word of God abiding in us in the face of temptation. So I'm going to get practical. The reality is that's that's what John's talking about. He's already laid out the Antichrist issue, but he's like, hey, listen, this is what I need you to do, little children. I need you to abide in Christ. What does that look like? Well, it looks like what Jesus, the, vine, the true vine, did. When faced with temptation, right? When faced with literally Satan tempting him face to face, using the word of God, by the way, very subtly and deceitfully, like he did with Adam and Eve, to try to twist God's authority, to, to undermine his word, Jesus was able to respond with Scripture every time. Every time. Every time. And so, beloved, what does it really mean to abide in him? It means that we have Christ in us. Yeah, the Holy Ghost, we got saved. But more than that, it means the word of God is dwelling in us richly. God's word is not just some fable. It's not just something that the pastor knows or something that someone we respect knows. It's something that we know, that we meditate on, that we think upon. And it's harder today than ever to do this. When I was, first got saved, we didn't have internet. We didn't have all these distractions. 
I could meditate upon the Word of God. Today, it's hard not to look at Facebook. I mean, the Word of God, we've got to be intentional is my point. Let me get to the point. You've got to be intentional. If you want to abide in Christ, I'm not talking about uh, your salvation. Once you're saved, you're saved, right? I've made that clear. I'm not talking about keeping your salvation. I'm talking about staying in a position where you're useful in the ministry. If you want to keep your fellowship where it needs to be, we have to be intentional about this book. We have to make this book a priority in our heart and our mind and our soul so that we are not beguiled and, uh, and, uh, and made inept or ineffective uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. So many passages concerning the branch also coincide with the scripture concerning the vine. And uh, Zechariah 3.8, Zechariah 6.12 are a couple of those. I'm not going to read those this morning. But we read in John 15, 1-3, how important it is to re- abide in the vine. So when Jesus was tempted by Satan, he was able to deal with that. Conversely, Eve added to the word of God. And the adversary <clears throat> had her and Adam on the ropes. And they were dead in trespasses and sins before they knew what hit them. Right? So it's not enough just to, to have the word. You can't add to it either. Right? So you, you don't want to get crazy because that's our tendency. Let's get legalistic about this thing. Let's make a bunch of rules. Tell me how high I need to jump. Do I need to memorize 10 verses or 100 verses? I'll do it. And then I'll be safe. No, you won't. You won't be safe just because you've memorized a bunch of Bible verses. At the end of the day, it's in the heart. And uh, that's really what the devil wants to corrupt is our hearts. Uh, so we've got to make sure that we're seeking him, right? The problem with Adam and Eve is they took it upon themselves to make a judgment that wasn't theirs to make. God had already said, listen, this will happen if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You will die. The day that you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. Make, all you have to do is believe what God said. They didn't, it, that's, all, that's it. Just stick with what God said. Add no more, add no less, and God will take care of us. And so not only does Jesus say abiding in the vine uh, cleanses us through his words, but it brings forth fruit. In John 15, 2, it brings forth fruit. In John 15, 12, 2, it brings forth much fruit. In John 15, 5, in John 15, 8, he talks about much fruit. And finally, the fruit that should remain in John 15 and verse 16. So if we don't abide in the vine, what's going to happen is it's going to mess up the fruit. The fruit-bearing process will not be clean nor fruitful in the ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the one thing we need to be right now is fruitful. The population of the world's going up. Praise God. That means our opportunity to preach the gospel should be going up. We should be getting more people saved because we are on a trajectory to need to get people saved. I mean, because time is short. So letting the word abide in us increases our hope in the promise of eternal life. In verse 25, he says, and this is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. There is no greater promise than the promise of eternal life. The book of 1 John concludes with the great assurance concerning eternal life in relation to the word of God. It says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Do you know that this morning? Do you know you have eternal life? You really don't know you have eternal life if you don't know what's written. I've been there in my life when my, my salvation was somewhat based on my experience. Now, I got saved. There's no doubt I was born again. I was trusting the word the day I got saved. But what shook me up, not long after I got saved, about a year after I got saved, when I started dealing with some of these demonic um, cult people that, that are, are preaching false doctrine, threw me off. Why? Because I wasn't really, my salvation really wasn't anchored. It was anchored in how I felt about it, not in what God said about it. So after about a year being saved, when I was a little child, God said, Brian, I need you. He had me go through some experiences. Amy was there to actually witness it. She actually helped pull me back on my bearings. And God said, Brian, you've got to replace your feelings with true faith. It's based on the word of God. 
Now, I'm not saying I wasn't saved. I was born again, no doubt about it. But you know how it is when you're a young Christian. Every time the feeling, you know, you're like, I don't feel saved. Oh, God saved me. I mean, how many times can you ask God to save you? I mean, you're saved or you're not. You're trusting God or you're not. And that was my problem was that God said, Brian, your, your salvation is based on what it says. Go back to the first thing you wrote in the front cover of your Bible, the plan of salvation. Very simple. And then he gave me John, 1 John 5. He said, Brian, these things have I written unto you that are saved, that believe, that you may know. You're already saved, but you don't know it because you're not basing it solely upon what I've said. You're basing it on how you feel or, and, or how much knowledge you think you've amassed. It's based on my finished work, son. And it's based on what I said. Just rest in that. And you know what? After that, I never had an issue. God gave me perfect peace in regard to that. But can you find the promise of eternal life in scriptures? I mean, really, can you? There's a lot. Of, I bet even in this church, a Bible-believing church, there's some of y'all that would say, oh, I'm saved. But I said, oh, great. Show me in the Bible. And the way I look at it is like this. Like if, if I was wrong somehow, and I, don't, I obviously don't believe I was, I'm wrong or I wouldn't be here. But let's just say, just for you know, hypothetical situation, I, I kick over and, I'm, and I, all of a sudden I'm at, and God's like, hey, Brian, you can't come in. I'd be like, wait a minute. Give me a Bible. Come here. You've got to show me this. Because this is what I've been trusting, Lord. This is what I've been trusting to get. I've been trusting your word. Now, God deserves the right to do whatever. But my point is simply this. God's word is what anchors our soul. Right? I know what the Bible says about salvation. Salvation is Jesus Christ, right? He is our salvation. And so our faith has to be in him and his work alone. And so if you can't find your promises of assurance in the word of God, then guess what? The devil's going to try to rob you of assurance. He's going to take that from you. And that's what the spirit of Antichrist is all about. Now, not only your salvation, but you can even see that working in our whole culture. Right now, everybody is on edge. They're fearful about all kinds of things. Right. And that's, that makes you, if you're born again, I don't even care what it, what it is. We just haven't been given a spirit of fear. I just, we just don't have it. Why? Because, well, we're going to heaven. Now, I know that seems crazy to people, but that's what the Word of God says. Our souls are anchored. Right? We have the Word of God. We have truth. That doesn't mean we ought to be stupid or foolish. We don't, shouldn't tempt God. Right? Get out there and, and do some dumb things. and get our, You tempt God, well, you'll... Reap what you sow, right? So you should be wise. But the, at the end of the day, we don't live with the spirit of fear. And that helps us. It keeps us from being contentious as well. That's what allows us to be meek and gentle and peaceable and, and also very thoughtful, right? It gives you an ability to think clearly and logically and process things. Uh, and that's the way Christians ought to be. We shouldn't be caught up in ex- emotional extremes one way or the other. We should be moderate, right, in that regard, let your moderation be known to all because the Lord is at hand. Where is he at? He's in his word. He's in the spirit of God in me. He's in the church, man. This is a place of peace. It's a place of moderation because Jesus Christ is in charge. All right, so letting the word abide in us, it protects us. It protects us uh, from the spirit of Antichrist. So in verse 26, these things I've written unto you concerning them that seduce you. We see John's motive here, and that's really cool. We kind of get a picture of his heart. He wants to give written information to the saints to protect them from those who would seduce them. Paul had a similar mindset toward the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we covered it on Sunday night a few months ago. He says, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any... Uh, but I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve, even through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity 
that is in Christ. So in 1 John 2.26, it says, hey, I'm concerned about those who would seduce you. Seduce you, right? And you think about that, usually the word seduction is put in a a, uh, sexual connotation. Paul says, I'm also worried about those that would beguile you. Also, a very sexual connotation going back to Genesis and and, uh, all the things there, but I won't get into that this morning. But the point is simply this, deceitful, beguiling, corrupting, right? Both of these men, John and, and Paul, leaders in the apostles, both of them apostles, both of them are saying, listen, beloved, be careful because there are people actually who are deceitful, right? Who are out to seduce you, to, to beguile you. They're, they're, not, they're not about your best interest. And so be careful. As a pastor, I want you all to be careful because there are people who will preach, and we've already seen it. There are people who will preach that Jesus is not the Christ, but they won't tell you that. They're going to present themselves as someone who is with Christ or knows Christ or knows more than God so that they can beguile and seduce you. So like John and, and like Paul, uh, they didn't want the saints seduced or beguiled by the smooth-talking ambassadors of Antichrist. This brings us back to our text in verses 22 through 23, which I haven't touched on much this morning. But let's just go back a little bit and put this together and connect these, these two sections of Scripture. First John two twenty-two. he says, Who is a liar? Okay, who's a liar? Anyone in here a liar? I never lie, so I just lied. Okay, so, so right, we, we've all been there, all right? But that's not our identity in Christ. So he says, who is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. The biggest liar in the world is he, is he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah. He is anti-Christ. Very simple definition, that denieth the Father and the Son. So a little more specific, specific there denying the Father, the authority, and the Son. We talked about that as well a couple weeks ago. So, whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. They are not, they cannot be disconnected. They, these three are one. First John 5, we'll get into that later. So, when we allow the Word of God to abide in us, it's easy to spot the lies of the adversary. Under, under the listen page at HBF, I have provided a list of false religions that are common here in the USA who deny that Jesus is the Christ. So for time's sake, I didn't want to get into all that because uh, I know I'm tight, but you can go online and get that, that list. Of course, John had a problem with Jews who didn't acknowledge Jesus as God or their Messiah, but today there are many groups that claim uh, Christ is not Jesus Christ, but a false Christ. And so in addition to, to the large religious movements like Islam, they're pretty big. They started in around 640 AD with Muhammad, uh, but there's others that started in the 1800s. Most of them are here in the States, uh, you've got Mormonism, you've got the Jehovah Witnesses, Caddy Corner across the road here, you have Christian Science, Scientology, Unification Church, you know, a word from unity. Uh, you have all of these and many more. And all of these have a different view of Christ. And if you want to know what that is, go to our website, hbfcast.org, go to our listen page, go to this sermon, and then there's a, there's a PDF there. You can download it, you can look at it and look at that a little bit more detail. But uh, I put that up for your edification. My point is simply this. The devil has his ambassadors, and he has his own his his own methods. Adam and Eve were walking in the garden in the cool of the day before Satan beguiled Eve and Adam, and uh, and they capitulated to eat uh, the forbidden fruit uh, to get the supposed secret knowledge, that Gnostic knowledge that led to death. So just as God warned them, um, it happened. He's like, "Don't do that," and they did it anyway. Their fall was also a breach in their walk with the Lord. They did, they did not abide to 
together, pulling me back to the text. You know that word abide, that's what it's talking about. It's when you're abiding with Christ, what are we doing with Christ? We're walking with him. When they took in knowledge that they weren't supposed to take in, what happened to their walk with God? Got corrupted, didn't it? The next thing you know, they're hiding in self-righteousness. They make something and they try to cover it up because they knew they were unrighteous and Jesus was righteous. Beloved, we need to make sure that we understand that, that that's why the blood of Christ is so important. There's no need to hide from God. After you're born again, you're his. You're his bride. There's a reason that we're his bride because we have such an intimate relationship with him. We should be completely open to God. We should not allow sin to corrupt our walk with him. And, and beloved, your mind, whether you physically do something wrong or not, is not the point. Our, and I'm with you. I'm in this generation. Our minds are perpetually pounded to leave our lover, right? To leave the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the King of kings and the, Lords of Lord, uh, the Lord of lords. His word is true, but everything in this world is telling you it is not true. That he is not the Lord. That he will not come back. That he will not take care of you. That he will not provide. That the Bible's not true. That it doesn't work. The church is a mess. All these other messages that get bombarded constantly. How do you combat that? Well, you get in the Word, but not just memorizing passages, which is what we ought to be doing, but also we, we commune with Him. We walk with Him. We take Him with us everywhere we go. We don't let Him... It's not something we do on Sunday morning. It's not something we do at, at 5 in the morning alone. Those are great things to do. I do all those things. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, we're in the middle of stuff. We're thinking about Him. We're calling upon Him. We're praying with Him. We're walking with Him. And when we make a mistake, you know what? We don't hide from Him. We do 1 John 1, 9, and we confess it. We ask for help and mercy and grace. And guess what? He provides it. That's walking with God. So be prepared for the Lord's return by letting the word abide in you. Let the word abide in you. Don't run from God. Run to God. And your natural man will want to run from God. But the supernatural man in you wants to fellowship with God. So make sure, if you're born again, man, that's what you got to do. You got to fellowship with God. Don't let your flesh command you. Let the spirit of God control you. Okay, point B. By letting the Spirit of God teach you also. That's how you're going to get prepared for the Lord's return. We've got, we got to have some knowledge. The anointing is what he's talking about in here, here in verse 27. He says, peace... No, that's John chapter 15. Okay, here we go. But, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, you shall abide, there's that word abide in him. So abideth and abide are found there in verse 27. So let the Spirit of God teach you. The anointing speaks to the role as priest. And we talked about the word unction a couple weeks ago in verse 20. It's the same word here translated twice as anointing. Unction and anointing. It literally is the same Greek word. And so the first mention of anoint and anointing in the Old Testament is the reference to the anointing of Aaron and the Levitical priesthood. We are called kings and priests in Revelation 1.6 and Revelation 5.10. We are, we are called upon to enter boldly into the throne of grace in Hebrews 4.16, and we should be doing those things. We are also commanded by Paul to pray for kings and all that be in authority. I mean, our prayer life is important, and it ought to be coupled with the Spirit of God's leading. I just, as I'm walking in the door, Paul is like, hey, man, Roger's mom, we need to be praying for Roger's mom. She broke her shoulder. There's other ones that would think about Joe Schaefer, right? God has... We don't just think about these things. God's calling us to priestly duty, right? We're like, oh man, there's problems in the world. Well, you know what lost people do is complain about problems. You know what Christians do? They pray about it. They pray about it. 
Right? We're called, we're commanded to pray for kings and all in authority. It doesn't matter if you like them, you hate them, that's irrelevant. We pray. Pray for the Korean leader, I forget his name. Pray for these guys, right? Pray. Why? Because at the end of the day, you want, to, you want them to get right now because you don't want to have to deal with them later, seven years from now, when you come back to stomp them, right? So the time for them to repent is today while they have an opportunity. So be praying. That's what, that's what saved people do. We have that priestly work. That's the role. The anointing speaks to our role as priests. But the Spirit of God abides in you if you're saved. So there's that assurance. The Spirit quickens us. It brings us to life the moment we trust Christ as Savior. Romans 8 says in verse 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. You either have him or you don't. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, right? Bring to life your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. So the Spirit of God, with that comes the promise of the resurrection. That's what's typified and pictured when we do believer's baptism. The Spirit dwells in us and seals our soul, the Bible tells us, and when we get saved, Man, that's an incredible thing. Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory, and he is in you, and he doesn't want to be grieved. He wants to have his way, but he allows himself to dwell in our bodies. That's crazy that he does that, but he does. He seals our soul, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. I mean, it is your birth certificate is not only found written here in the Word of God, it's stamped on your soul. You are, you are his, and, uh, and, and you are already seated together in heavenly places. So the Spirit convicts us of sin, and and can be grieved and quenched if we choose to starve him of the word of God in our obedience to that word. In Ephesians 4.30, we see that. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, we're called not to quench the spirit. You know, there are things in our life that God wants us to do. It's like a fire burning in your soul. You just got to go. I got to take that missions trip. I got to get to this place. God puts that fire in there from the spirit of God, from the word of God, through the local New Testament church ministries of God. And he gets you on fire. You know, I got to get discipled. I got to go to D2. I got to go to HBI. I got to, whatever it is, the thing that God is just firing. I got to work in the children's ministry. I pray God's firing a lot of people there. So, uh, so firing up the people to get where they need to go. Don't quench it. Don't quench it. How do we do that? Not only through neglect, but also there's a deception, right? We allow things in to deceive us and to beguile us. And the next thing you know, that zeal that you had, that Sunday morning at the altar call, and you're like, I make that commitment. Then you know what? A week later, two weeks later, where'd it go? I think someone got beguiled. Someone got seduced. Beloved, they're seducing spirits. And that's what John's talking about. Don't let anyone rob you of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about if you're saved, you're you're not losing your salvation, but you can certainly lose your fellowship. The Spirit of God gives us power to walk in the Spirit and manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And you guys know, many of you know Galatians 5.16, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Man, that, that was such a... Years ago, I used to beat myself up because I had lust of the flesh. It was such a liberating thing to realize... I'm always going to have lust of the flesh. My flesh lusts for stuff. Uh, you know, whatever. All of us are like that. So this is the reality, though. The Bible says, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's what, the, that's what it's about. It's not, it's not you're always, if you're, I hate to, tell, hate to break the news to you. Your, your flesh is going to lust after stuff, whatever it is. But the reality is, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill it. 
Yeah, I've told you this analogy a lot of times, but it's worth repeating again. You know, I love ice cream, right? And I do. I love sweets in general. But it's amazing when I eat what I should first, eat some green. I like steak. I like green beans. I like hamburger. Right? When I eat some protein and some green beans and a roll, all of a sudden now I really don't need any ice cream. I'm like, man, I wanted that so bad. I wanted to eat it first. I wanted to eat ice cream and then another batch of ice cream. and then that, You know, that literally, I could just eat ice cream and sugar. But God, you know what I learned about my physical body? When I fed it what it needed before I, I fed it what it wanted, then I could, I could handle what I wanted or I didn't even want it anymore. That's the, the priority is the word of God. When you give your soul what it needs, the word of God, you know what, all those other things go away. Why? Because when you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's about who's controlling your life, the spirit of God or the flesh. So the spirit of God teaches us. And we know John 14, 26, the comforter, which he was promising at that time, which is the Holy Ghost, it's defined for us there, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So this promise was evident in Acts when the apostles spoke, spoke to the leadership of Israel. In Acts 4.13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You know what? Who taught those men? Jesus. God has to be about our, our discipleship process. We're not just transferring my knowledge to you. We're transferring God's knowledge. It's the word of God. That's why the word of God rules. Stephen, the deacon, he spoke words that were so powerful by the, the aid of the spirit of God that his words were unassailable. In Acts 6 and 8, the Bible says, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose a, a, of the, of the synagogue, a certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them a Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. By the way, all the miracles that happened didn't phase him. They were still wanting to argue with him. You know, oh, well, you should see the people that got saved. They don't care. The, the adversaries of God do not care about people getting saved. That does not impress them. They're not happy with God's will. They'll still argue with you. And then it says, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. It was the Holy Spirit of God teaching him what to say. Stephen was so powerful that he ended up being used of God to take probably one of the brightest people on the planet, Paul, and get right in his grill and present the gospel in a way that Paul could not shake it off. And it kept pricking him in his heart as he was going about fighting against Jesus Christ. And so God used him to get Paul saved. The Spirit aids us in teaching us the mind of God so we can pray fervently and effectively according to the will of God. We've already been in Romans chapter 8. It says in Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. None of us are perfect, man. We need some grace. How about, y'all all need some grace today? I can use some grace. Amen. He says, hey, you know what? The Spirit helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what, to, what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that, that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. And the will of God is the word of God. We get help from the Spirit of God, knowing how to pray, what to pray for. When we don't know what to pray for, he's still working in us. And God loves us, and he is for us. That, that spirit, the Spirit of God teaches us, and the Spirit of God will not teach us what is not found in the Word of God, for that is the mind of the Spirit, according to Romans eight twenty seven. And so the Spirit that is in us, which causes us to abide in him, to abide in Christ, uh, is the Spirit that is called the Holy Ghost. And we are in Christ because of the operation of God the moment that we got saved. 
And so Ephesians 2, 5 says, even when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us, right? He brought us to life, brought, he has quickened us together with Christ by grace a year saved, and he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right now, because of the Spirit of God, you and I are as good as sitting together at the right hand of the Father. Isn't that amazing? I mean, God has us directly connected. You don't, have, you don't need Elon Musk. You don't need an internet. You don't need anything. All you got to do is say, God the Father, here I come, man. And, he, and you're connected. It's, you're in headquarters talking directly to the God of the universe. You cannot get more powerful or more, and the devil knows this. Christians don't believe it, even though we intellectually know it. If we availed ourselves of the power of prayer, my goodness, what God could do. My goodness. So be prepared for the Lord's return by letting the word abide in you. Be prepared for the Lord's return by letting the spirit teach you. And lastly, and this won't take long, be prepared for the Lord's return by letting the word uh, prepare you. And I capitalize that word on purpose because it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 28, and now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Are you going to be confident? If the Lord came back right now, are you ready? I mean, are you ready? Amen. Some of us are. Some of us may not be. Our hearts are maybe not where they need to be. And so he's like, hey, be ready now. Now is the time to prepare for Christ's return. It's sad when people wait, you know, and I'm glad when people get saved on their deathbed, but isn't it sad, you know, when people get to the end of their life and they're like, oh yeah, I need to take care of my salvation and they finally get saved and their family's a mess. Nobody got to hear their testimony. It's just, it's kind of grievous. It's great. We'll see them in heaven. But man, you know what? Today's the day of salvation. I'm glad I got saved young. I'm glad I got saved when I was 17, 16, just about turned 17. And I'm glad I haven't looked back. Man, what, a, what, a, what would life be like to, to, to miss the opportunity to be saved? Today is the day of salvation. We need to take advantage of the word of God abiding in us through his spirit. We need to take advantage of the teaching of the local New Testament church. Some of you need to move on and get discipled. Some of you need to, some of you can't because God's not the, the preeminent thing in your life. Some of you may, may need to just make a decision. You know what? Brian's right. I'm living my life for the wrong thing. I need to live it for someone not for something. And, and so start putting Jesus as the priority so that you can put your house in order. You can put your calendar in order. You can put your schedule in order so your life can be in order so you can do the things you know God's calling you to do, whatever that may be. And God will do it because we will not be ashamed if we do not, or we, I'm sorry, we will be ashamed if we do not abide uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to be careful here because um, I don't want anyone to think you can lose your salvation. So I'm talking about walking in the Spirit. We need to make sure we're walking in the Spirit because God wants to, He wants us to have our house thoroughly furnished into all good works. So when you get saved, you're, you're like a, a brand new house, but you, got a, you need a couch, you need a table, you know, you need, just like the temple. The temple's not complete if it doesn't have the showbread, the candles, it doesn't have the altar, right? It needs to be furnished. We need, place, we need our life to be furnished in a way that the God can commune there, that God can walk through our house, walk in us and through us and use us if you don't have any scriptures in the cabinets, he's not going to have anything to, to cook up a meal with, right? And so it's a matter of furnishing us, thoroughly furnishing this house so God can use us. And why is that important? Because when you get to heaven, when God does catch you up, you want to you get there and have accomplished what God intended for your life. You don't want to get to the third, get caught up in the air, get to the third heaven before the judgment seat of Christ and realize, I wasted Five years of my life, six years of my life, 10 years of my life, 20 years of my life, 30 years of my life. 
And you know what? Even if you have, I want to give you some grace today. You know what God can do? He can redeem the time because the days are wicked. If you want to, if you want to make up for lost time, man, you're still breathing. God is still working in you, and he wants to do a work in you that's amazing. So I don't want to leave anybody here swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Today, now is the time. If you want to get things right with God, get them right today. And if the Lord comes back in five days, five minutes, five years, 50 years, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is get after it while you can and make it, take advantage and make hay so that you're not ashamed of the judgment seat of Christ. And lastly and not least, man, be prepared to be born of him. Some of you here this morning, verse 29 says, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteous is born of him. Hey, we're righteous because he's righteous. He is our righteousness. But some of you this morning, you may not be saved. That means you don't have the righteousness of God, which Paul says in, first, in Romans chapter 10 is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God. So what you need to do is invite him to invade your house. You need, you need to let him have control of your life and your heart. And the way you do that is simply make a direct connect right now. You can do that. You can simply call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to come together today to consider these things in 1 John. We're thankful for what you have shown us about abiding in you, abiding with you, Lord, and how important it is not to be seduced or beguiled by the things of this world. We're thankful for what you've written to us in John 15 about having fruit and much fruit and fruit that remains. We're thankful for the uh, just the immense amount of, of information that you've provided us about yourself and our relationship with you. But today I pray, if there's someone under the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. And perhaps you're here this morning, and, and really at the end of the day, when I ask that question, are you prepared for the Lord's return? You're not prepared at all. And you know it in your heart that you need to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. If that's you this morning, I do not want to embarrass you, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but I do want to give you an opportunity to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so I just want to simply ask you this honest question. If you died today, do you really know where you'd spend eternity? Perhaps you know that you wouldn't be with God and you want to fix that. You want God to receive you. You want to be clean by his word. Hey, well, you know what? You can do that today. I can't do that by praying over you, but I can help you by giving you an opportunity to make that decision yourself. And we can have someone show you in the Bible how you can know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And you can trust him yourself as Lord and Savior. Is there anybody this morning that would say, Brian, you are talking to me. I want that. I want to be saved. I want to have that assurance you're talking about. I want to know what it is to be saved. And know that God has forgiven me of my sin and will walk with me the rest of these days until I go to heaven. Is there anyone at all in this room that says, Brian, you are talking to me? I know if he is, you can feel like, man, I don't want to raise my hand. I might be the only one. But you're not the only one. Almost everybody in here has come to that point in their life. And I don't want to go too fast here. I need to slow down just one more moment because I just don't know who I'm talking to. Maybe you're online. Maybe you're in this room. But if you're here today... And you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And you're like, Brian, I want to know. I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise you. I'll have someone come to you and we'll discreetly show you in the Bible privately. Anyone say, Brian, I do want to, I want to know. I want to get this settled today. Just simply where you are, just raise your hand. I want to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you're too embarrassed or you're too scared to do that, I just want you to know all you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and he rose again the third day, you simply just need to, believing that he's alive right now, the best way you know how, cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me. I am a sinner. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Please uh, come into my heart and save me. Thank you for that gift of eternal life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. 
Amen. And uh, if you can do that in your heart and you mean it, come and see me and we'll show you in the Bible where you can find that in the Word of God and affirm your salvation and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take you the next step. Let's stand together in an attitude of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we continue in prayer this morning, I want to pray for your saints. I want you to just uh, have your way with us, Lord. Abide in this body, Lord. Of course, you're here because, uh, Lord, the Bible teaches us that you've sealed our souls. And, but at the end of the day, Lord, I pray that we cooperate with you. Lord, that we would not beguiled, be beguiled or seduced or taken off one way or the other. Lord, that we would walk in the Spirit. Lord, that we would allow you to work through this church. And it starts with each and every individual. As we conclude in an attitude of prayer, is there anybody that just says, Brian, I just need to respond to God today. Pray for me. Maybe you need some prayer. Maybe you need to come forward. Maybe you need to make a decision. Uh, maybe join the church, get baptized, anything at all. If you need have a decision to make, you can make that right now. Anybody have a, need some prayer? Amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I saw a couple hands, and Lord, uh, we're in a situation, Lord, where we just are so thankful uh, to be saved. It's so good to know you. Lord, there's those here that need some prayer. Lord, I know Cammy. And Joe, they're in need of prayer. I know Roger's mom is in need of prayer. I know there's other needs, other people in need of prayer. And so, Father, thank you for that priestly work that we talked about. Help us to be a people of prayer. Lord, help us not to just complain to each other, but help us take our complaints to you. And, Lord, help us to, to really understand that, the, that you make the difference and that you use us to take the gospel to places it needs to go so people's souls can be transformed into the very image of Christ. And, Lord, the difference that makes is... is uh, unbelievable in the culture it's unbelievable in that person's life and it's unbelievable in the advancement of the kingdom of god it's incredible uh, what you're doing through the gospel of the lord jesus christ it is the power of god into salvation lord i pray you'd stir up our pure minds today as we come to this moment that you would launch us out of here for your honor and glory and that you would get all the the praise and the honor for jesus sake we ask this amen amen you may be seated thank you for coming this morning I just want to say one thing before, I'm, Jeff, you're, I'm going to finish up so you can come and do the, the announcement. So uh, as Jeff does the announcements, I just want to personally put in a plug for the men's, man, the man meeting. Uh, if you could make sure, if you have not registered, um, please make sure you register online so that I, so I can know how much food we need to prepare. So right now, I'm not preparing a whole lot of food based on the registrations, and I think there's probably more people coming than as, uh, have registered. So I hope there is. I really would like to see all the men that... that can possibly be here next Saturday morning, 8 o'clock for breakfast, uh, and then we're going to have a, a, we'll be out by noon, so it'll be a good time, so hope to see you then. God bless you. I think if you need help with that registration, you probably get help back there in the Connection Center as well. Um, yes, no? Yes? Okay. Um, just a couple of quick reminders. Make sure you get a bulletin, guys, and check things out. Coming up September 3rd, we have our ninth annual Walk for Life. Um, so that's, and Steve's got a table right back here. Make sure you stop by and check with Steve or whoever he's got out there about this uh, fundraiser for this uh, very, very worthy uh, ministry that Steve heads uh, up with uh, Life Issues. Discipleship 2 begins September 1st, so if you have not gone through Discipleship 2, that's something that appeals to you, then uh, make sure you get online and register for that. And again, the Connection Center is there to help anyone with that. 
uh, mission trips coming up. Boston's real close here, isn't it? Boston's coming up. And uh, speaking of mission trips, on the 29th of this month, right after Lord's Supper, right here in the sanctuary, uh, Ray Blowers is going to have a meeting with anyone who's interested in going to Mammoth coming November, I believe it is. So if you're interested in the Mammoth trip, make sure you stay behind after the Lord's Supper on the 29th. And he's already mentioned about the man's meeting. I'm not going to add anything more to that. How to Disciple begins on September 15th. And uh, last but not, but not least, on the 25th, which is a Wednesday, 